Hello and welcome to Shay Hanny, the podcast empowering women to make creative career change. In each episode, I interview an inspiring woman who has taken a risk and made a significant career change in order to make their life work better for them. Today's episode features an interview with the inspirational mindset trainer, Caroline Ferguson. At the age of 50, Caroline had a life-changing experience which gave her the permission she needed to leave her business communications job and discover exactly what it was that she was born to do. Caroline, welcome to the Shay Hanley podcast and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Hannah. I'm just uh, delighted to be here. Thank you. Um, So tell us about your first career and how you found yourself there. Well, I don't tend to think of myself as having career, really. I had I had jobs um, because I, I just couldn't really work it out to start with what I was supposed to be doing. I vaguely had this idea that I wanted to be a writer. But uh, way back then in my youth, I didn't uh, I felt somebody had to give me permission to do what I wanted to do. And I couldn't really work out apart from being in, in advertising or, or a journalist, how how I could be a writer. So uh, I answered an ad in the paper for a temp job and ended up working for a business information company in the marketing department, which I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea what it was, um, but it turned out that actually marketing involved a bit of writing. So I was the person in the team that always used to, they, you know, if there was a press release or a direct mail letter or something that needed to go out, they would lob it at me and, and I would do all the writing. So that's kind of how I started out. And um, and I just, you know, after a couple of years, swapped for a bit more money. And then the, after that job turned into a business planning role, which was all about forecasting, radio paging sales. And I thought, oh, I better leave before they find out that I'm, I'm an idiot, you know. So after that, I went freelance as a copywriter. And pretty much that was how things went from then on. You know, I'd, I'd write a bit of copy for people. Somebody would offer me a job. I'd say, yes, I'd realize I'd made a mistake. I, I would go off and be a copywriter again. And gradually I moved into the area of business communications. So uh, rather than writing external facing copy, sales copy, I was doing much more in terms of employee engagement communications. And I found that much more interesting, but still, mostly on a freelance and contract basis because I wanted to be a writer you know so I would I would work for six to nine months and then I would take um five or six months off to to be a writer and uh and, and that went on for what feels like decades it was like groundhog day um and uh, I got I got into screenwriting which is a terrible thing don't ever do it it sucks sucks the life and the heart and the blood out of you and you never make any money um and uh, that was kind of how it went. It really did and, until I turned 50. Uh, that that was sort of my working life. Okay, thank you. And when, and well, you said when, it was, you said when you turned 50, but how did you know and what was the moment that, that told you that it was time for you to move on and do something different? Well, I'd been feeling really dissatisfied for a while and I realised that, you know, despite winning various contests and getting an agent and all the rest of it, screenwriting, I was just getting a bit long in the tooth for it. And, and, and it really wasn't working in terms of an income generator. And I was doing a job for a client where I was commuting to Canary Wharf two hours each way, twice a day, very stressful. 
And I was doing a job that I'd done 18 months previously when they got a new leadership team. I was brought in to communicate for this leadership team around the changes. And, you know, within a year, they had another new leadership team and I was coming in and doing all over, all over again. And, and it was basically I was communicating on behalf of a terrified leadership team to terrified employees in this enormous organization who were all waiting for the axe to drop. And I thought that I've done this before and, and there's no legacy to what I do. There's no value to what I do. Nobody believes a word I'm, I'm communicating here. And I realized that something needed to change. And it was a particular day that, that was the catalyst for, for the changes that came later. It was my birthday. It was mid-October. It was raining. I was late for my own birthday dinner party that my cousin was throwing for me. And I was in the front carriage of an incredibly crowded commuter train in the dark, in the rain, heading late for this party when we ran over somebody who had lain down on the track. And being in the first carriage, that person died under the wheels I was sitting on top of. And all we knew to start with was that suddenly the emergency brake went on and all of this gravel was hitting the bottom of our carriage and we just lurched to a stop. This, you know, a carriage train carrying hundreds and hundreds of people sitting there in the dark in the rain. And we were there for three hours um, because we were in between stations and uh, the station wasn't far away, but it took a while. You know, the station wasn't really manned at that time at night. It took a while to get people to us. And of course, all the trains were backed up all the way to King's Cross. And uh, it was a truly horrible, horrible event. They had to get us all off down a staircase at the back of the train that led onto the track. So, of course, we were the last people off. And uh, in the meantime, being in the front carriage, we could see the emergency services coming and then putting screens around the front of the train. And it was it was really interesting, the different reactions around the train. You know, it was what's going on. Oh, my God, somebody must have died. And, you know, there were a few people going, oh, it's so inconvenient. People are so selfish. <laughs> Why do they do that? And there's me in tears thinking there's somebody who's never going home again. Mm. You know, somebody whose family, whose friends will never see them again. And uh, and as I sat there, of course, I missed my birthday party, which <laughs> didn't seem particularly important by then. But as I sat in that train, I realized that this was a turning point for me and that I couldn't continue to waste my life delivering no value, creating no legacy. And I knew that I had to find something that I could do for the second half of my life, which I could do with silver hair because, you know, I was, I was midlife, that I could do in English, that I could do in my own time, uh, around my own timetable, and I could fit around writing because I'll, I'll always do that, you know, cut me and I bleed words. And that mostly delivered value to people. And in delivering that value, I received value myself in terms of satisfaction and in terms of earning a living. So I set this really kind of clear set of parameters about what it what it would look like. The only thing I had no idea about was what it was. Mm. Uh, and I knew it had to include this sort of creative aspect um, what I didn't realize I was doing at the time is seeding my mind with something that I now call brain mining or mind mining, but actually in therapy terms is known as a transderivational search, which is a terrible thing. It's a terrible term. The language of therapy just is not helpful. <laughs> um, 
But what happens is that our brains are this amazing problem, the most incredible, sophisticated problem solving apparatus in the universe is between our ears. And we're never really taught how to use it. We're taught how to learn, but we're never taught how to think and how to mine this deliberately for, you know, in creative terms. So when we seed it with information, with questions, with commands, with challenges, our, our unconscious mind has no choice but to try and respond to that. So unknown to me, me sitting on that train, especially when there's deep emotion involved, mm. and I was, you know, consumed with sadness and a bit of anxiety. Um, when we seed our mind with with these commands, with these questions, with these challenges, from that moment, my brain was looking for solutions for me. Mm. And it actually took, uh, so that was mid-October. And then at the beginning of January, and almost immediately, I basically uh, resigned from that role. And okay. I just became a, a copywriter because I needed to simplify everything. I needed to get rid of four hours a day of commuting yeah. and just to focus on, right, who am I going to be when I grow up? And <laughs> I need to earn a living in the meantime. So let's just keep it simple, stupid, you know, just just pair it right back. So I was pretty serious about this. Um, and then at the beginning of January, I'd I'd won a place on a Channel 4 writing course competition thing that they run every year and I was excited about that and looking forward to it but at the beginning of January my mother had a breakdown a fairly serious one and she was in hospital for a while and I used to be somebody who was sort of the unofficial therapist in my friendship group and the unofficial carer you know if somebody was was hurt or in in mental pain or whatever that yeah. they would come to me and I'm highly sensitive I'm very porous emotionally so I would do my best to help and then they'd go off and they'd be fine and I'd be left with all the mess <laughs> um, and when people said to me oh you should be a therapist I would say absolutely not I'd be dead within <laughs> two years I can't hold all that pain um, and and I got to a point actually where it was so silly I had people living with me who are bipolar um, that had had come from you know this help that I could give and I, I was permanently a mess uh, so I had to stop being that carer. I had to go cold turkey because I realized I was codependent and I needed that validation. And so I just sort of stopped for several years. So when my mother had a breakdown, I was thinking, oh, no, you know, it's back to that. And it's my mother. This is really complicated. Yeah. But actually, something really interesting happened, Hannah, because I came up to Scotland to manage her care and help look after my dad. And not only was it not difficult it was actually really energizing. And I realized that in the few years where I'd stopped being that compulsive, codependent, caring person, I'd grown the skin that you need to protect yourself yeah. when you're helping. Um, and my mother was going to have some CBT. So after a couple of weeks, I, I came back down south because I, I was going to this Channel 4 thing and I was absolutely not going to miss that. And uh, came down south, got out of my car, long drive, went out, bought a book on CBT because she was having that treatment and I wanted to be able to talk intelligently to her carers. Um, bought, bought a book, uh, discovered that a hypnotherapist I'd seen many years ago had, had written this book, so I bought that, Googled him. He'd started a college. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Thought no more of it because I'm excited about Channel 4. And I went to bed and I got up in the morning and I was on fire because I knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was going to go to Abby <laughs> Joseph's college and I was going to train to be a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. And there was no argument. It yeah. was just there. So what happens is that when we seed our minds, when we do this brain mining I talk about and we give it instructions, 
and say, go and solve this problem. For two months, my brain had been looking for a solution. And when I bought that book and I discovered he'd set up a college, rationally, consciously, there was no decision. There was no reflection. Unconsciously, I went to sleep and my mind made itself up and said, that's what you're going to be. And you have the evidence now that it's not going to kill you. Yeah. You know, you've just had two weeks of the most intense caring yeah. and it didn't kill you and actually energized you. So and and I'm somebody who does a mass of research, but I didn't do any research. <laughs> I just applied to Abby's college. I didn't investigate other types of therapy. I just applied to Abby's college. And two you months later, knew. I started. Yeah. I just knew yeah. it was that it was just a fact, you know. Yeah. And it was incredibly exciting and really bewildering at the same time. Like, how the heck? You know, how did I, how did that happen like that? It was just an incredible moment. Yeah. So that changed everything. And Mm. the brain just, it's just doing all those things in the background. Yes. And then eventually, bingo, the the solution is is there in front of you. And we're never taught that. I mean, I teach all my clients that now, of course, because it's such an incredible resource Mm. to have that problem, Mm. you know, that solution finding Mm. focus and to do it deliberately. But uh, no, I hadn't a clue. I hadn't a clue what I was doing. No, it worked. <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing story to that point. And, and how did you then, once you knew that that was what you needed to do, mm. how did you actually sort of put that into action and make it a reality? So I, I looked up, uh, as soon as I got back from my Channel 4 thing, I, I looked up the college, which is the College of Cognitive Therapies, and I discovered that they were starting a new diploma program in March. This was mid-January by now. So I applied and, and I got in and it was weekends. So intensive weekends for a couple of years. Um, I applied, had my interview. I got in, I started. It, it all happened so fast. And from the first second, it was really interesting because there was never a moment of doubt. And I'm somebody who really weighs things up and does the research and, never a second of doubt and the first day I went there we started with a hypnotherapy module um, and within half an hour we were being hypnotized and within an hour we were doing hypnosis so it was really hands-on really practical along with the training and it was so exciting it was so exciting so yeah so uh, that was a couple of years and then I started out as a therapist because I wanted to to use this to help people but also to to practice you know to, yeah. to get used to using it and it all felt very natural because that had kind of been my role all the way through my mm-hmm. life but now I had the tools yeah. I had the understanding and I had the way to protect myself so uh, I practiced therapy for a couple of years but but the bit that I found really exciting was what people are capable of once the trauma and the stress and the anxiety and whatever they came to me with you know once that's out of the way and under control it's what happens then it's this creative burgeoning it's this energy rising and and this ambition that comes in these aspirations and these dreams suddenly reappear and that was what I found really exciting and it was a natural segue for me to move on into the coaching space although I I don't call myself a coach I call myself a mindset trainer because I teach people to think in this healthy and flexible and resilient way and what I'm really teaching people is self-awareness and personal leadership. So it just felt like a very natural segue for me. But that it, it all involves therapy. Yeah. All of it, you know, it all comes in. It's all useful. Yeah. 
That's, it's amazing how just one thing has just led into the next. And I, I think that happens Absolutely. to a lot of people, doesn't it? Once mm. you let your yourself um, think in that way or, or be in that mindset. It's, yes. I've heard so many stories where once something becomes clear, lots of the next steps seem Absolutely. to fall into it, place. It, it, it does. And it just has always felt like the most natural thing in the world yeah. and really exciting and energizing at the same time. Yeah. And do you think there were um, many, I'm sure, I'm sure there were some transferable skills, but, ha- but were there any specific transferable skills you can think of that you actually were using from your previous job um, mm. that actually became very useful once you started um, and really trained as a, as a therapist? Uh, loads of them actually but the two principal ones that just spring to mind are communication and Mm -hmm. storytelling which is all part of communication Mm -hmm. but storytelling has been such a big part of my life all of my life and I I use it constantly in terms of helping people to understand Mm -hmm. the you know the techniques that are used um, providing examples and case study type of things Um, but also communication because that was my you know, my entire professional life is, okay, what's the message I want to deliver? What is the audience that needs that messaging? How do they need to hear it? What's the most effective way to get them to deliver the outcome that we need in a way that was going to get their buy-in? So that, you know, really, that it's yeah. communication essentially, but with in a creative way, yes. finding the story, because we are, you know, we are consumers of story. There's this lovely uh, this lovely phrase, which of course the author escapes me right now. I used to have it on my business cards about ten years ago, which is we live in story like a fish lives in water. It, it's just part of humanity, yeah. and it's how we communicated for yeah. so many years before we had a way to write stuff down. So yeah, so I, I would say communication, but particularly the story. Yeah, that makes sense. And were your um family and friends and the people around you were they supportive of, of, of this kind of big career or job shift for you yeah I think I mean they've always been supportive but uh I left home to go to school go away to school when I was nine ten yeah, because right. my father um, worked abroad so you know there weren't schools so I, I kind of learned how to fend for myself really early and my family has always been very good at letting me yes yeah <laughs> and so I've been very independent for a long time but yeah they've been kind of cheering from the sidelines I would say um slight again slightly bewildered it's oh my gosh Caroline's going back to school at you know <laughs> age 50 that's that's oh okay I suppose concerned are oh, you going to be able to to make a living you know yeah. but that yeah that was never really an issue for me because I yes. could always do contracting on the side but yeah they have they're, they're incredibly supportive um I'm very I'm very lucky there's no conflict it's yeah. uh, it's just very easy that's really good and do you think that taking this um making this leap has inspired other people around you I think well yes actually I was about to say I think so I know so I mean at least one of my clients has gone on to train as a therapist okay. as a result of the experience that they've had um, that we've we've had together mm. um but also uh, several of my friends they've always been slightly concerned by my lifestyle you know that I would take six months off at a time to go and do some writing they were like, yes but how how do you earn I said because because I make sure I do I make sure yeah. I pay the mortgage yeah. um but several of them have actually 
become self-employed, have started okay. up their own businesses. I wouldn't say because of me, but I think I'm part of the inspiration that is around them yeah. uh, within the circles that we move in. Um, and at least one person has become a writer, okay. uh, has allowed themselves, has given themselves permission to take up writing in a very serious way because um, because I encouraged them to do that. Um, so it's, I suppose I'd say, yes, I can't take sole responsibility for anything, but I think I'm part of the soup of inspiration yeah. that is, is around at I the moment. I think also a lot of it is, is about people seeing others doing something which becomes more normalised, isn't it? Yes, you know, definitely. So often we have this idea of what a working life should look like and, you know, definitely. nine to five job and it's a salary. But actually we both know that that isn't necessarily what works Absolutely. for lots of people um, and certainly in the last few years you know since since the great lockup um people have started to look at their lives in different ways and they really want their lives to be about value now and about yes. quality uh and they've got used to you know enjoying working from home so i think more and more people are thinking uh, that they don't have to rely on the man to uh, you know, the corporate man to to yeah. to pay our bills and to um, we don't have to be sucked into that machine. Yeah, there are other ways to make it work. Yeah, and no, I think it's empowering for a lot of people just to have a, somebody that they know or or see regularly doing those things because it. Yes. it, it I think it does empower others. So I'm sure you've uh, yeah. you've, you've inspired that in a lot of people. Um, you you mentioned that writing has always been something that you have done and will continue to do. So you were obviously living quite creatively from in that sense. But do you think your um, changing career has enabled you to live in an even more creative way? It has. It really has, because there were things that I stifled. I mean, when I was growing up, I was always somebody who I made my own clothes till I was in my mid 20s. Yeah. I was a crafter. I used to make toys. I was. Um, quite musical I was well I, I was a singer I was a backing singer for a while I was in choirs and uh, all that stopped when 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 work got serious mm. and I made a decision that I could sing or I could write but I couldn't do both because they both involved a, a lot of mm. commitment and time so I just stopped singing and it's like you cut off an arm yes when you something that's so fundamental to who yeah. you are it is gone and for years I missed that. And then when I moved out of London to the country and became, um, you know, really started taking time off to write, I, I started to gradually reintroduce those things. But since I've, the, in the last decade, since I've retrained and, and I'm now a mindset trainer and, uh, and, and coach, yes, it's, you know, I've, I started singing again. I started making things again. Um, I have now deliberately set aside four times a year where I go and learn something and do something okay. wonderful. Um, so recently I went on a jewellery making course and I produced this. For me, it was just this lovely pendant that had silver leaves and things on it. Yeah. And it was just the most satisfying thing. And next year in the spring, I'm going on a, a five day songwriting course. Oh, wow. um, so I so as well as doing creative things day to day and getting much more involved in story, 
I'm deliberately looking outwards and finding things to do that are going to tickle me in, in different ways and that are new and, and exciting and also that involve community mm. because the jewellery making course was a day spent with women and the songwriting course, you know, there's a whole bunch of us going to be camping in the woods mm. yeah. <laughs> so, and writing songs together. So I just feel as if I've I've opened up doors that I closed a long time ago and it's bringing the light and the joy back in um, and it's had an impact on my writing as well because corporate writing destroys your style well, it destroyed mine anyway um, it just took all of the light light out of it and and now I find it coming back and I'm finding a, a voice again which I yes. thought again had I'd lost a writing voice so yeah it, it's uh, it's reconnected me with my creative self it feels like you, perhaps that day on the train, maybe that was the day where you suddenly gave yourself permission to do all of these things that you hadn't done for a long time. Because I agree with you that all, all of those creative skills just blend together, don't they? And they help mm. to create that story. But it is a, a lot of it is people feeling able to give themselves permission yeah. to go on a songwriting course, to make jewellery, even though you don't have to be a, a trained jewellery designer do you to go on no, a, a course and far from it jewelry. absolutely yeah far and yet, from it I think many people out there perhaps feel that they can't give themselves permission to do those things mm -hmm. uh, for whatever yes. reason that might be for them um yeah. but I think that's wonderful that you I love that you you take the time each year to to plan in some things that are creative um, yeah it was my new year's resolution last year and uh and uh, you know once a quarter really I want yeah. to gift myself and you're absolutely right that it's about permission and a lot of personal leadership self-leadership is about giving ourselves permission to be fully who we are and to follow our values and our talents and skills um, so I think you know when I'm teaching my clients self-awareness is the most important life skill mm. absolutely the number one most important life skill, but unfortunately only 15% of people, according to research by this wonderful uh, organizational psychologist called Tasha Urich, only 15% of people are naturally self-aware. Wow. And the rest of us are self-conscious and self-focused, but not self-aware. Self-awareness is about knowing ourselves in depth. It's about yeah. understanding ourselves and how we got to be who we are. And also understanding how the world sees us in a realistic way, yeah. not in this self-conscious way. And, and fortunately, I'm not one of those 15%, you know, I, I was one of the self-conscious ones. Yeah. But it, fortunately, self-awareness is a skill that we can learn. Yeah. And the best leaders are self-aware. And when we develop that skill of self-awareness and knowing ourselves, our values, our strengths, our, our vulnerabilities, really what's important to us are triggers and most importantly, the stories we're telling ourselves all day, every day, 20 to 70,000 thoughts a day, you know, being able to tune in when it's important and listen mm -hmm. to the soundtrack that we live by is the most important life skill. Because if we can't hear it, that unconscious stuff, we can't challenge and change yeah. it. Yeah. So, so it's just incredibly important. And that enables us to be fully who we are and to live fully in alignment with yeah. what's important to us. Do you think that giving yourself time in whatever form that is, or, and, and this for other people as well, that, that, that allowing yourself time to actually think about those things is important? Because I wonder if for a lot of people, if, if you have a, 
um, a very, very busy uh, five days a week or perhaps even more than that job, there is so little time to actually mm -hmm. take time for oneself and, and to reflect and to think about a lot of the things that you, you've just mentioned. And I, I wonder if you think that people taking time for themselves is an important step towards um, what you've just um, been discussing. I definitely do. But the other thing I think we need is something or someone to reflect of. Mm. Because when we are reflecting for ourselves, we tend to go around in loops and circles mm. and we don't always dive deep enough. Mm. Whereas when you're part of a group or you've got somebody in your life that can guide you and ask the right questions, and that's really crucial, you know, ask the powerful questions, ask the difficult questions. Mm and hold you to account for the answers um, and really know when to lead you in deeper, when to, to, to question further, mm. you know, because when you just, a, a really simple technique is to start with a question. So for example, what's important to you in your life? And then you, you give your answer. That's your surface answer. Why? Why is that important in your life? Well, because of this, this, and this, and why? And so you just keep, each time asking the same question, what then, what next, why, going deeper and deeper until you find the heart of it. And that's really quite hard to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. If you have the right questions to ask, if you're a coach, you might be able to do it. But I find always, always my, um, apart from that moment on the train, my biggest breakthroughs have come as a result of being surrounded by other people who are going through that journey mm. and by having somebody who, who can guide me through it, mm. who can help me to understand, you know, when I'm, when I'm chasing rabbits and squirrels or, yeah. or when I'm actually on a path that, that is leading me to something valuable, to some valuable information about myself. So I think, yes, we, self-reflection is incredibly important, but so is investing in ourselves and finding the right support that can help things to happen much more quickly when we've got that kind of support and that accountability as well. You know, we are being witnessed, we are being observed um, and, and we need to show up <laughs> and do yeah. the work. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Everything you're saying makes complete sense to me. Um, my final question is, do you have any advice for anybody who might be listening, who is contemplating a career change and maybe on the fence about whether to take action or not? Uh, yeah, I would say invest in yourself personally, in your personal development, because we invest in our holidays, we invest in food, we invest in our homes, in our families, but very rarely, apart from on a aesthetic level, you know, with beauty stuff, mm -hmm. do we actually invest in our personal development. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest to everybody that they have a pot of money that they put aside, that they save up for, which is about my development um, which is about ex me exploring me and finding the answers, about me exploring me and finding what's important to me, about understanding my values and understanding what my talents are and understanding what I can do with those and how I can live a life that truly matters. Uh, when I started a Substack recently, it was it's called Born for Something More because for such a long time in my life, I had this itch this nagging feeling that there was supposed to be something I was doing or being. And I didn't know what that was. And I wasn't making it happen. I thought it was about writing. And it turned out not to be about writing. It turned out to be about 
helping other people and delivering that value and having that legacy. And it turned out that my born for something more, my something more is helping other people get out of the way so that they can find their something more. And um, so that whole idea of something more is embrace that about yourself, that there is something more. And it's not about scale. It's not about, you know, inventing things. And Mm. it's about quality and the value that you give to life and that you get out of life. That's your something more. And when you find your own personal something more, it changes everything. It changes everything. Life becomes um, a really much more interesting place and and that value swap between what you give and what you get back is incredibly satisfying yeah. uh, and, and and it opens up that world of permission that we were talking about for you to really really understand who you are and be that because the most difficult words people say just be yourself <laughs> but who the yes. hell is that <laughs> yeah <laughs> who the That's hell quite. is that <laughs> so so it's the answer to that question is find out who am I who am I and how am I going to show up in the world? So I would say to people, invest in yourself, find the right person. And there are loads and loads of different people out there. So that can be a bit bewildering, but, you know, start tapping into, into, um, into that area of life, start exploring and, um, and just, you know, grow yourself to your full extent. I think that's amazing advice. So Caroline, huge huge thank you um for sharing your story it's, it's really inspirational um for me and i'm sure it will be to lots of other people as well and i'm sure um others are going to find it helpful in helping them to realize their their journey and their path and and and, and just to think about what the next steps are um so thank you so much for you're so about. welcome i think when you are inspired i think some of that reflects out some of it leaks out you know <laughs> and i've i'm inspired every single day by by incredible people around me um and and you and what you're doing with creativity you know and 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 actually hosting this podcast giving these voices an opportunity to be heard and to help perhaps inspire other people is is incredible so thank you so much for having me on thank you absolute pleasure that was caroline ferguson talking to hannah ash on the shay honey podcast caroline has a substack page called born for something more And you can read more about her work as a mindset trainer on her website, carolineferguson.com. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to sharing the next one with you very soon. And you can find me, Hannah Ash, at shayhanny.substack.com or over on Instagram at shay underscore hanny. Please do leave a comment. I'd always love to hear what you're thinking about my podcast. Have a great week. Hannah.